0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the good news we hear in this gospel. Thank you for this table we gather around and grant us uh, that those receptive hearts we need to receive from you what you have for us this morning, where you want to nourish us, where you want to lead us, challenge us, forgive us, rejoice over us. May it be so in Jesus' Amen. Please be seated. Here's a, a question that was a, a tagline to a news article written several years back by uh, or for the BBC, and it was this: Why do people rush in to rescue their dogs from the water? And of course, not just any water, but dangerous, many times fast. Flowing, sometimes freezing, sometimes frozen over water. Uh, Maybe sometimes uh, you've seen these videos of uh, it's frigid winter and there's snow everywhere and then there's this dog that's fallen through the ice and the dog owner's there at the edge and he he just gets down to his underwear (laughs) and starts going into the water, smashing through the ice until he makes it to his dog saves his dog, and, uh, and then you imagine the, the joyful reunion afterwards. What is it that causes dog owners to do this? Uh, it's something, actually, firefighters have to take into account. So I was a call firefighter in Southboro, Massachusetts, for uh, a while. It's about 30 minutes from here, and we would do this ice rescue training. And it was really fun, actually. It's one of the more fun fun trainings to do. You get to put on this wetsuit and go in the water. And it's actually quite hard to to get people or dogs out of the water. But anyways, what they would tell you is that if you are getting a call for a dog rescue, always be ready for two rescues. (laughs) One for the dog and one for the owner who's not far behind, who's ready to go in. So what is it? What is it that... uh, that causes dog owners to do this? Well, the answer is pretty simple, especially if you're a dog owner. They just love their dogs <laughs> a lot. Uh, if you're a dog owner, you understand that man smashing through the ice to get to his dog. And if you know the gospel, you would know he is illustrating something of the gospel. We're back in the gospel of Luke chapter 15 verses 1 to 10 so if you have your bibles and you're going to follow along you can go there luke chapter 15 verses 1 to 10 luke the author of this gospel was a physician i know there's a number of physicians in our midst and because of that he had a special eye for how jesus loved and treated people like the sick but also the vulnerable Also the undervalued, the mistreated. He has a special eye for that. How Jesus loved them and served them. Throughout the centuries, actually, Luke has been represented as an ox. And that might seem like a strange thing to you. But since at least the second century, um, each gospel writer, in fact, has been represented by uh, one of those four living creatures described in Ezekiel, if you've ever read that that surround the throne of God, and all of them representing all of creation, basically. So if you look at Christian art through the centuries, you're going to see this again and again pop up. And so it's on our, actually, our new gospel cover. So if you look, you have the man with wings, that represents Matthew. Then you have the lion, that represents Mark. You have the eagle, that represents John. And then the ox. That represents Luke. And the ox is that animal that represents that Christian sacrificial service. And in Luke's gospel, especially, Luke pays attention to how that service is to those who are the most vulnerable, to those who, in this chapter, are lost, who've lost their way, who've wandered from God. Malcolm Guy in his book, Sounding the Seasons, wrote a poem that speaks to this, that is basically a poem about Luke and his gospel, and it summarizes so much of what we're going to talk about this morning and just the book itself. And it goes like this, his gospel is itself a living creature, a ground in glory round the throne of God, where earth and heaven breathe through human nature and one upon the throne sees it is good. Luke is the living pillar of our healing, a lowly ox, the servant of the four. We turn his page to find his face revealing the wonder and the welcome of the poor. He breathes good news to all who bear a burden, good news to all who turn and try again. The meek rejoice, and prodigals find pardon. A lost thief rejoices or reaches paradise through pain. The voiceless find their voice in every word. And with Our Lady magnify our Lord. That really summarizes the Gospel of Luke so well. And what we're looking at too this morning and in this, uh, this series we're doing, we're, we're revisiting looking at going deeper into the hospitality of God. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at the humble posture that requires of people who follow God in this way, that we always are looking for in choosing the lower seat where those especially who are most in need are. Last week, we looked at the cost of hospitality, that compelling yet demanding way of Jesus that requires a lot from us, more than we actually have in ourselves. And so the best move is joyful surrender, as we looked at last week. Today we're looking at God's hospitality to the lost. Again, those who have lost their way, who've wandered like lost sheep from their creator and from his people, and how God searches for them until he finds them, and then he rejoices over them. That's what we're looking at this morning. In the previous chapter, chapter 14, we read about the demanding way of Jesus, and that chapter ended with Jesus saying, if you have ears to hear, then hear. And then, if you notice, at the beginning of our chapter, the next chapter, chapter 15, it starts with the tax collectors and the sinners there. It says, drawing near to Jesus to listen to him. (laughs) They're doing it. Even after the demanding thing Jesus outlined, they're there listening. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, they were people that were considered questionally more or morally questionable for different reasons sometimes for for legitimate reasons sometimes for unfounded reasons whatever though their, their background was they were the ones there drawing near to jesus to listen in contrast to the scribes and the pharisees right these were the jewish leaders the theologians the scholars of this day they were there not to listen to jesus They were there to grumble, it says. They were irked, irritated, complaining. They said, this fellow, i.e. Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Greek word for welcome here, it's more than just like a, a passive waiting. You may have got that sense just from reading that. But actually, it also has this connotation of this meaning to look out for eagerly for those. So what's saying what's, what's it saying here is that Jesus is was has been eagerly looking out for those sinners to welcome them in and to eat with them. And to eat with someone of course at this time is a very intimate act. It's a, it's an act of association. It's an act of friendship. You're extending some friendship to this person and you're expecting this to go on in a long-term relationship. So that's why the religious leaders are saying, wait, this guy, Jesus, who's claiming to be sent by God, following God, representing God on the earth, how could he not understand you shouldn't be associating with these people, these questionable people, these dregs of society of this day? And so what Jesus does is then he responds with, it says, a parable. And there's actually three parables that come. And they're probably referred to as one just because they're talking about the same thing in three different ways. All of the, they all have this in common. Being lost, being found, followed by great joy. So the first one, you have a lost and found sheep and then a party. We have a lost and found coin, and then a party. A lost and found son, and then a party. We like to party. We do like to party here, too. Um, So let's look at each in turn. First, the sheep. So actually, the emphasis is not on the sheep so much as the shepherd, who has, it says, a hundred sheep. Now, if you didn't know, that's a lot of sheep for this time. That indicates a wealthy person. It might have been the shepherd, it might have been the shepherd, just a hired person for the, the owner who was wealthy. But out of this hundred, one just gets lost. And it says the shepherd leaves those hundred to find this one that was lost. That's Ninety-nine, sorry, he leaves ninety-nine. It doesn't say there's other shepherds around that he's entrusting them to, right? He's going off, leaving the ninety-nine defenseless and in the wild. He's got a lot of attention on this one sheep. What's going on? So yeah, you think back to the, the man burst, busting through the ice, the ice rescues. There's not going to be one or two rescues. There's going to be 99 or 100 rescues going on. Then it says this, this shepherd doesn't stop till he finds. He is determined to find this. He's not going to stop till he finds. And then when he does find it, he says he puts the sheep on his shoulders, Now that might seem, you know, we got these cute little pictures sometimes in Sunday school of how easy that would be. But that would be an extremely difficult, uncomfortable thing to do. Both for the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep is probably complaining on the back. And then this guy decides he's going to throw a party. He invites his friends and his neighbors to throw a party. Who probably on the way to the party are thinking... Isn't this a little excessive? (laughs) Doesn't he love this sheep a little too much? (laughs) So when Jesus says to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says, which one of you wouldn't do this? And they're probably looking at each other, raising their eyebrows and their hands. (laughs) I wouldn't do this. Yeah, that's way out of line. This is just a sheep, one sheep. Guys, a little excessive, maybe even irresponsible. Um, But Jesus says, no, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, one sheep found, than over the 99 who don't need to repent, or who don't think they need (laughs) to repent. This parable illustrates the excessive love of God for the lost, His excessive joy in finding the lost. That's what's being expressed here. And that's a unique revelation of God in the history of the world. If you do a survey of the religions of the world, there is no religion that describes God like this. Not just searching and finding those who don't deserve it, but searching for the one. That's unique in the history of the world. Which is what Jesus is also illustrating at this time, in real time, at this meal, right? Where he's telling this parable. He has been looking out for and welcoming in the sinners. Right? The unworthy, the lost. And they've come. And they're drawing near to listen. They're home. And there's a meal going on. We can imagine fun meal. Jesus was called a drunkard uh, and a glutton. I bet because they were having such a good time. (laughs) They're like, they must have been drinking. They're having too much fun. Let's call him a drunkard. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees, they just think this is, again, too excessive, irresponsible maybe for such people. The parable of the lost coin makes a similar point, right? The same point. Here's this woman. It says she has ten coins. Now, that could have been her savings. That could have been the family cash box. That could have been a piece of jewelry you had that had ten pieces of, of co- or ten coins on them, or a headband. And each one of these was worth a drachma, uh, which is one day's wage. So, not a ton of money, certainly less than a sheep, in fact. And so she loses one, and so she starts searching for it. Sweeping, it says, and searching. It says she has to light a lamp, presumably because it's getting dark. She's doing it into the evening. How long she's been doing this? Maybe she's been searching a whole day for a coin that's just worth a day's wage. And then she finds it, and what does she do? She calls, again, her friends and her neighbors for a party. Now, if you do that in ancient Near East you got to feed those people, which is going to cost her the rest of her coins. <laughs> you can bet on the way there, they were also thinking, like the, the friends and the neighbors of the shepherd, isn't she a little excessive? <laughs> Doesn't she love this coin a little too much? Well, no. She and the shepherd are illustrating to us, again, that excessive Joy, that excessive love of God and joy God has. Not not for coins, not for sheep, but for those who have lost their way, for those who have been ignoring God maybe for a long time, which is pretty much the definition of a secular age. For those who have wandered from God and his ways and his people. Jesus says, again, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God this time over one sinner who repents. There is a party in heaven for every one of us that comes and is found. It's beautiful. What's noteworthy is that when Jesus says these two parables and he highlights the fact at the end of each one, those who repent, he says, those who repent, so, of course, we, the bigger context is that we get that in the parable a bit. You know, those who repent are like the prodigal. He's, uh, he's someone who finally comes to his senses, it says. He changes his mind and he says, wait a sec. It's, it's much better for me to be there with my father in his house in some way, shape, or form than it is for me to be here without him in the muck. He changes his mind, turns around, To repent is to be like those, those tax collectors and sinners who were drawing near to Jesus to listen to him, which is going to require you to change your mind on a lot of things. What's interesting, though, is in these two parables where Jesus actually highlights repentance, there's nothing of repentance highlighted in the sheep or the coin. They can't repent. What's highlighted, right, is the searching, the finding, the rejoicing... Of the shepherd and of the woman. So, whatever piece, you know, our repentance plays in this, it's a small piece. The bigger, larger context and reality is the searching and the finding and the rejoicing of God over us. That's what Jesus is highlighting. The bigger context, right, is Jesus smashing through all the ice that separates us from him and his father. And in him, our father too. For the joy set before him, it says, Jesus endured the cross. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. The joy of our homecoming. The joy of heaven that rejoices over one Lost, who has been found. When we turn our eyes to, to God, we realize He has already been looking at us for a long time. He has already come a long way to search for us and to find us. In Christ, He has already smashed through every obstacle between us, and now all that's left for us to do is that joyful surrender to his rescue operation. And the more we do that, of course, then the more, as the poem put it last week, we're going to be tripping over joy. The joy of heaven, the joy of God's welcome home party. And then we're going to want to share that joy, because that's the nature of true joy. you got to share it. You want to invite others into it. You want to join Jesus in God's searching, finding, rejoicing way. And there's a number of ways to do that, to express that. So some of us are like the shepherd. And we're, we're driven to those beyond the fold, right? Beyond the community of faith, maybe. We have a a desire and a love for them to want to invite them to the banquet table of the kingdom. Then there's some of us who are more like the woman in the house, maybe, who have a heart for those within the community of faith, in the house of faith. And they have a special eye for those who are maybe new to the faith or in particular need or who are still lost and need to be found. And then others of us are like the father, We're there ready to receive and welcome and tend to those who come. Whether they're they're a sheep or a coin or a prodigal or whatever. And we need all of those to do this work of hospitality. We're about to start something called the Alpha Course, which is basically an introduction to the Christian faith course. But really... It's a dinner party <laughs> with a lot of joy, typically, and you get together to eat together, to enjoy one another, get to know each other. You hear a basic teaching of the Christian faith that addresses one of the big issues of life, and then it's followed by an honest conversation. People who come are allowed to and asked to encourage to share their own thoughts on these big questions of life. It's for people new to the Christian faith or people who have little to no understanding of the Christian faith. And again, it requires a variety of people to make it work. So again, we're going to need people like shepherds who invite those beyond our community. We're going to need people like the woman to invite people within our community who we think would benefit from this. And then we need people like the Father who are ready to welcome them and, and make this happen. Well, we already have a team in place for the welcoming, receiving end, Uh, people like the Father. What we need are those invitations. So I would ask you to think about and pray about someone you could invite to Alpha or something similar. There's a good amount of work to make things like this happen, but it's always good to remember the greater, bigger reality, right? Of that excessive smashing through the ice, searching, finding, rejoicing way of God. All we're doing is surrendering to it, following it, enjoying that greater joy. Maybe so.